0: Hey there, my name is Jarrett, and I'm one of the lead pastors of Soul City Church right here in the heart of downtown Chicago. I wanna welcome you to week two of our new teaching series called Church Refresh. Together we're walking through the book of Philippians to explore and to experience that transforming joy that Paul talks about found in a relationship with Jesus. And if you missed last week's message, you can always go back in our feed and catch up. In fact, I'd encourage you to do just that, to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Church Refresh is honestly just an experiment in transformation. It's designed to help you grow in the everyday flow of your life. We've created all kinds of tools and resources to help you do just that. It's just another expression of our church's mission, which is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. Look, no matter where you're at with God, all of us know that we've all got room to grow. And I believe Church Refresh is gonna help you do just that. So, why don't you grab a Bible, open up to Philippians chapter two, open up a tab to Philippians chapter two as we get started today. Well, this last week, I had a moment where I felt like a pretty popular person. Or actually, in retrospect, I look back now, pretty unpopular person. Because this last week, I received no less than three DMs from complete strangers on Instagram, promising me that they could increase my Instagram influence and boost my followers from anywhere between 5,000 to 30,000 followers, and all of them promised organic followers, of course, you know, free range, grass-fed, organic followers. Have you ever gotten a a DM like that before? I get them every couple of weeks. And just a side note, I love that the accounts that send them to me typically tend to have like 82 followers, just kind of thinking maybe they should hire themselves, that's all. the reason that we get those is because we are living in an age of influence, Long gone is the day of the expert or the authority. Long live the influencers, right? The age of influence is rooted in this idea that influence equals power. The more followers I have, the more influence I have. The more influence I have, the more power I have. And the question that everyone forgot to ask in our insatiable quest for influence is simply, what's it all for? Like, What do you do with it? Once you've got it, if influence is power, then I guess maybe the better question is, what's the point of power? Like really, what is the point of having power? What are you supposed to do with it? And if you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't I'm not really have that much power. You don't really know my Instagram follows. I don't have that much influence. Well, I'd encourage you to think again. If you are a human being in relationship with other human beings, you have power. You Just do. You have power in your relationships at work. You have power at home. That's a big hub of power dynamics. You have power with your roommate, power with your partner, with your friends. You have power. So the question is not whether or not you have power. The real question, I guess, is is what will you do with the power entrusted to you? What will you do with the power that's been entrusted to you? Well, that's what we're looking at today. And it's actually in Philippians chapter 2 that Paul paints us a picture of the point of power, specifically the power that was entrusted to Jesus. And and it's the same power that you and I have in relationship with him and in relationship with others. Now, if you're part of last week's Church Refresh, you know that Paul didn't actually set out to write a book of the Bible. He was actually just writing a letter to his friends at a church in the city of Philippi. These words inspired by the Holy Spirit are coming straight from Paul's heart to his friends from a prison cell where Paul was locked up because of what he believed. Now, Paul in that moment had very little power, as you and I would think of it, right? I mean, he's in jail, hundreds of miles from his friends, not sure if he'll ever see them again. But he did have a powerful perspective on the point of power. And so I want us to start in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's look at what Paul says, and I want you to pay attention to a couple words. I'm going to call them out here for you. You might want to circle them or underline them or highlight them or whatever you need to do. He says this, Philippians 2.1, therefore, if, now I want you to pay attention to that word, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, now pay attention to this in verse two, then, it says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, Having the same love being one in spirit, one of mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others now what what Paul is doing here is he's setting up a rhetorical assumption it's a rhetorical assumption if this then do that. If you have this, then you do that. See, what Paul knows is that they already have experienced that unity, that love, that tenderness and compassion of God. These things are just baked into a transforming life with Jesus. Again, it's a rhetorical assumption. Another way that Paul might have said the word if is to use the word since. Since you have, or because you have these things, What Paul is doing here is he's answering the question of what you are to do with the power entrusted to you. And his answer is incredibly clear, you just heard it. The answer is this, be about others. Be about others. Don't just talk about it, don't just post about it, be about it. Don't just look out for yourselves, look out for others. Don't just look to your own needs, look to the needs of others. That is the point of power, it's others. People are the point of power. Whatever power you may have, people are the point of that power. Now, I know, and I believe Paul knows, and I know God knows, that you actually already know this. You know this, right? Yes, of course. I know I should be about others. I should love others more. I should serve others more. But so often we just, I don't know, we just don't. Left to myself, I'm always going to make it about me. It's just true. I'm always going to look out for guess who? Number one, right here, you're looking at him. Don't believe me? Just ask my wife Jeannie. She's got like files on this. That's because self-preservation is is our most natural inclination. Just is. It's just what we default to. Self-preservation is our natural inclination. So, Paul gives us a supernatural invitation. Paul draws us to the who and the why and the how of what he's talking about here by pointing us to one who's greater than us. He points us to the life and example of Jesus. And many biblical scholars believe that what's included in these next few verses here is actually one of the first hymns, one of the first songs sung in the early church. Paul's busting out bars for those who actually already would know this song to let them know, to remind them of the point of power. And this is what it is, Philippians 2, verse 5. He says this, In your relationships with one another, have that same mind, that same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. And this is that song they would have sung who being in very nature God, being God. Jesus is God, right? So being God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, becoming one of us is what Paul's saying here. And being found in appearance as a human being, being one of us, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Look, what what Paul is saying here is that Jesus went first. He first humbled himself. Just, you have to understand that. He first humbled himself by leaving his throne in heaven and being born into obscurity amidst the sea of humanity. He humbled himself by becoming one of us. That is actually no small thing. And that alone would be enough. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on. We see Jesus. He fed. He touched. He healed. He he gave dignity to the downtrodden. He he ate with outcasts. He he washed his disciples' feet. He served. He literally gave his life for you, for me, for all of us, because to Jesus, people were the point of his power. And because of that, I want to close by looking at what God did. Verse 9, Philippians 2, verse 9. Jesus took that low place of humbling himself and serving others. So look what God did in light of what Jesus did. Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him, being Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth. That's everyone. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Come on now, that is so good. That is the reality of who Jesus is. Get this, Jesus gave us an example in his life and gave his life as an example for us. He could have easily established himself as a ruler here on earth. Could have demanded and rightly deserved a throne. Could have at any moment leveraged his unlimited power for himself. Remember, that was one of his first temptations to do so, but he didn't he humbled himself. He loved. He served. He took the low place. And because of that, God elevated him to the highest place. When I think about Paul's invitation to have that same mindset, that same view of Jesus by putting others before myself, if I'm being honest, it it doesn't take long For all of my excuses, my my busyness, my fears, my scarcity to just like come rushing in. And it's surprisingly easy for me to lose sight of the needs of others when all I see are my own needs, when that's all I'm I'm focused on. Like I want you to think about, think about it like this: think about your your life, like this, this glass, you know, half full of water, right? rather than seeing what God has done and how God's provided for us, what do we tend to see? What we don't have, what we still need, what we're waiting for God to do in our lives. And then when you take that and you look at your life and you think about how limited all of your resources, your time, your energy, your money is, right? And then you begin to think about the needs of others, about how others are hurting and struggling around you. What begins to happen for you? I'm just being honest for what happens to me. I begin to think, well, yeah, I wanna help, but I just don't, I don't have a ton of time, like, I just, I don't have a ton of time to give. I'm a really busy person since this lockdown, right? I, I don't have a ton of money. Or I'm kind of strapped financially right now. Like, I'd love to give. I'd love to serve that way. But things are just kind of tight for me financially. I, I don't even honestly know where to begin. The needs are, are, are so great. And then I think if we were to get really honest or say, okay, well, if I were to, to give of myself, well, what's going to be left for me? See, it's so easy. It's so easy to miss this invitation, But don't, I just don't want you to forget Paul's rhetorical assumption. Remember that? Paul's rhetorical assumption, if, then, remember? Since you have this, because you have this, then do this. Because this is what we tend to miss when all we're focused on is our own needs and what we don't have. Since you have actually already received an unlimited supply of God, you are more than able to meet the needs of others around you. You actually can leverage your privilege for the sake of others you actually can take the low place and become a servant and humble yourself. Why? Because you can trust that God's actually already given you enough and he actually always will. There is enough in God. You don't have to live in fear of scarcity or uncertainty because the reality is there is enough in God. He is a good God. And since you have, because you have already received from him, you don't have to worry about there not being enough enough for you so you don't have to worry about others. No, God will, God has taken care of you. There is enough for you so that you can actually be enough for others. But that's something that honestly you're never going to know until you're willing to go low, to take that low place, to humble yourself like Jesus did, to love, to serve, Take that low place and let God take care of the rest. Don't worry about all that other stuff. The whole point that Paul is making in this part of Philippians 2 is this, and I don't want you to miss this. You might actually want to like take out a note and jot this down, write this down. Don't miss this idea. Here's the idea: you take care of the low, and God will take care of the high. You take care of the low humbling yourself, serving, giving of yourself, looking out for the needs of others, not just for you, but for the sake of others. You take care of the low, and God will take care of elevating you. God will take care of promoting you. In His time, in His way, He will actually lift you up. Don't get lost in the pursuit of power. Don't get enamored by the by the promise of influence. Don't get stuck in a preoccupation with self-preservation. God's got you. He will take care of you. So, Will you take care of others? Will you take that low place like Jesus? I can't help but think of folks in our church who embody this idea in Philippians chapter two. Folks who who may not make the headlines or the highlight reels, but they lower themselves on a regular basis to serve others. I think of folks like Bailey Bennis in our church. She serves in Club 45, our ministry to 4th and 5th graders. She pours herself out week after week on Zoom, small groups with 4th and 5th graders. She deserves a medal, right? And she does it with such love and with such excellence. I think of my buddy Jacob and his wife, Emma Lyons, who poured out so much time and, and care in and, and making meals and writing handwritten notes and prayers and delivering those notes and meals every week through our meals of hope, giving people dignity and a meal. Think of Irving Gonzalez who poured himself out during this COVID season by leading an alpha small group and leading another small group and leading an affinity group on top of that. He's doubling down during this time, pouring himself out, making sure that in this time of isolation, people actually have connection. People are spiritually connected to each other. There's so many more stories of so many more folks who are part of our church doing just that. So my challenge to you this week is will you take that same mindset of Jesus? Will you seek to serve? Will you go out of your way to give yourself away? How can you look not only to your own needs, but also to the needs of others? Will you actually do it? I mean, not just talk about it, but be about it this week. Will you actively look for ways to serve and meet the needs of others in, in your home? It's a great place to start. In your small groups, with your family, with your friends, in your community, in big and small ways, in practical and and meaningful ways, in tangible and, I believe, transformational ways. You can look at all the problems in the world and begin to believe it is impossible to solve them all. Do you know how we do it? One loving act at a time. You and me deciding to go low. Because again, at the end of the day, the real question is not whether you have power. You do. The real question is, what will you do with the power entrusted to you?